and welcome to another episode of Parky Monarchy. Today we are talking to John Henry Phillips about his documentary film No Roses on a Sailor's Grave. John, it made me cry, honestly. Yeah, we both <laughs> cried. It was, yeah. Film, yeah. Hard hit, yeah. <laughs> no, no, not the film. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, we ask all of our guests this. It's our classic Parky Monarchy question. Can you summarise your film slash forthcoming book in 30 seconds i can i think I, I reckon i can do it in the shortest you've ever had i think oh go on <laughs> go for it all right have you got a timer or do i just um yeah, oh, yeah i'm all faction go. i've got to watch <laughs> all right. okay say when okay. yeah go a 94 year old d-day veteran and i go looking for the wreck of his long lost land craft in france eight seconds fair enough yeah that's okay. <laughs> short and sweet category that's good that's good yeah we like that we like that sometimes they go on but sometimes they're to the point and that's what yeah, you need get it over with so with that very short introduction i was gonna say obviously we've been able to watch it but people can't watch it yet can they um or can they, they if they wanted to just to get that out there first yeah if they really wanted to they could do uh it's <laughs> it's doing the rounds in film festivals at the moment okay um all over the world so it just kind of depends if it drops into your town although because of covid and all that sort of thing most of the film festivals are online anyway so actually it's been a bit of a blessing really because more people have been able to watch it than mm. uh, could have done had the pandemic not happened so Definitely. yeah people can watch it you just got to keep an eye out for when it pops up every now and yeah then. well make sure you follow you on twitter and instagram because i know i see you post about it a lot when it could be viewed yeah. and stuff so that'd be really good um what's your instagram and twitter handles quickly just so people are aware? uh my instagram is john henry phillips and i think my twitter is uh john phillips 185 like the landing craft in the <laughs> brilliant nice. that's very good love that link yeah yeah right so let's dive in then so to give us all a bit of a context like why did you create it you know what did you want to do when you were creating it as well? Because I really, as I said to you when I was watching, actually, like this isn't your standard documentary. Like this is five star, top end stuff. Like it's incredible. Thanks very much. Uh, <laughs> why? Why did I make it? Is that the question? Why did I make yeah. it? Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I made it? it because at the time, I met Pat, the the guy in the film, the veteran in the film. I was twenty four when I met him. Um, and I, and I just finished my degree and I'd started volunteering, taking these D-Day veterans back to France. Um, it's funny, whenever I say that sentence, that sentence is literally in the film and I've heard yeah. it so many times. <laughs> I was gonna say, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but it's true. So I, I was taking these D-Day veterans back to France every year. And yeah, I met this one, this one guy called Pat and um, he just told me this really moving story about his land and craft um sinking to the bottom of the English Channel and how he lost a lot of his friends and it just kind of amazed me that that story had not been told and had just kind of been lost to history and so at the time it, it was just kind of like the pinnacle of everything I've been doing in archaeology and history and, and and interviewing World War II veterans and that sort of thing it all felt like it was leading to something like a big project like No Roses um, and so it just all fell together Quite naturally really um i told pat I, I told pat i was thinking about looking for a shipwreck um and he looked at me like i was insane uh, and then i told him i'd build a memorial and and 
again, he looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> and, yeah, and I just happened to be working with a production company at the time on other stuff. And they and yeah, they were they were down and they flew over and we just kind of went went from there really. It was all very last minute. I think from the time I told Pat I was gonna look for a shipwreck, I think two weeks after that I was back in France with a camera crew and, and oh, wow. starting it all from, from there. And yeah, that's how it came about. Oh, that's so cool. Just a little bit um of context, because I know you said his um landing craft sunk. Um obviously it wasn't on D Day. That happened was it oh if my correct was it the 26th of june it's 25th of june 25th yeah. oh so nearly there yeah, very close <laughs> but um, so what would he have been doing in terms of like going over then because you think of d-day you think of normandy obviously you think during the sixth so it's i think what i really liked is the fact that you were focusing on a history that wasn't during the sixth it was mm. afterwards and i think that's why that definitely does get overlooked mm. yeah yeah i mean i was kind of guilty of it as well i think um because I was taking D-Day veterans back to France at the time and we concentrate so much on the land in itself and then what happened once they went inland. Uh, and I, I don't think many people realise unless, you know, you're really into your history, but kind of, you know, everyday kind of readers of history and stuff like that. Um, I don't think they realise that a lot of the land and craft stayed in the area for months after that. Um, and, and LCH-185, Patrick's ship, it was at D-Day, it was the it was the headquarters ship that led in the first wave at Saw Beach. Oh, um, wow. So they were the very first landing craft to head in. Um, they dropped off 27, I think off the top of my head, 27 naval commandos. And then, yeah, they, they led in wave after wave, basically after that. And then they stayed in the area um, as part of a thing called the Trout Line, which was a, a, a long line of landing craft um that went right out to sea on the very eastern flank of the landing beaches right at the other the eastern end of sword beach and they'd all get there together every night and, and protect the the beaches and the, and the sea off normandy from attack from the germans and that's why they're in the area basically um and the trout line stayed there until um the very end of august early september so yeah a, a lot of people don't realize that it didn't it definitely didn't end yeah in the sea after d-day and in fact um you know they were they were attacked from the air and, and mines and and um, man torpedoes and all sorts of stuff for for well every day basically mm -hmm. um they went yeah they really went through it and when patrick's ship went down it was just which is partly why it was lost to history i think it was um just one of one of many yeah at the time lch 105 had rescued survivors from uh hms swift just the the day before and as as they were doing that, they saw another ship blow up um, and they couldn't rescue anyone from that ship because they were already taking people on from another ship that sucked. Oh, wow. So it, they were just dropping like flies, basically. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was really rough. And they, they don't seem to get their kind of, uh, their story told at all, really. No. It was, it was fascinating watching that the entire research process it was so in-depth it was so broad you spoke to so many experts and it was absolutely fascinating to see as well and um, the shots were oh, just incredible that was moving in itself aside from the dialogue just looking um at the ship itself incredible yeah um so how long did this whole project take kind of how how did it unfold how did it what was the process like it took um it took about two years i think 
or maybe three. I can't really. You did a lot in that time. That is, that's... yeah, yeah. impressive. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, well, for, Good I know... timing as well with the pandemic. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that from day I promised Pat, which, which happened for real. So that's why it's not in the film. This idea that I promised Pat I'd look for a ship. That actually happened before any of it started, which is why, yeah. you know, it's not in the film. Uh, that was on June the 6th, uh, 2017, I think. And then June the 6th, 2018 is when we unveiled the memorial to uh, LCH-105. Right. And April of that year was when we dived on the target. So it was a year from start to finish, exactly 365 days from the, the promise to look for it to unveiling the memorial. Um, and then after that, it took uh, maybe like a year, 18 months to edit it all together. Um, it has a full kind of orchestral score and all that sort oh, of thing. Oh, that's incredible. Um, which was, yeah, that was amazing to have done. Yeah, I love that. Um, and then, yeah, then it took even longer to get it into, you know, film festivals and stuff like that. It was a long, long process, but it, it was worth it, I think. Um, we filmed it in, I think, probably three or four blocks of filming um, over the course of a year. So yeah, we, we, we broke it up into little bits because the camera crew mm. lived in Canada. Yeah. Uh, so they had to keep flying over. Go Button yeah. Media, wasn't it? Go Button Media, yeah. yeah. My mate Daniel, if he ever listens to this, uh, we, we made it, we basically made it together. He's a director. Um, and yeah, it was wild. We kind of like, I took my car and I drove just for the first shoot, it was literally just me and him. Uh, in my car with one camera, um, sharing hotel rooms and stuff like that. And then after that, it got kind of bigger and bigger and bigger. And before I knew it, we had lifeboats and drones and <laughs> like multiple camera crews and lifeboat crews and dive teams. Oh, wow. Yeah, it got, it got real wild. Oh, it's mad. Well, you just mentioned about the dive team. Like, for those who don't know, you dived yourself. Um, what was that like? You know, can you just kind of just can you describe that experience of going down and seeing the landing craft and stuff yeah it was uh it was really surreal um I, I spent a long time getting ready to that point I think when I dived in Normandy it was my 25th dive um which sounds oh, like wow. it's, it's not that many it's not that many dives to be honest um because you just I mean it's quite hard diving I must say. Uh, <laughs> it's not it like it. you put oxygen on and then you just swim. No. Okay. Because no, no. like, that's how I thought it was. Yeah, no, it's, 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 there's a lot more to it than that. You know, you don't realise that. I remember going to the first lesson and they were just kind of saying, like, oh, these are all the bad things that could happen to you. This is how many different ways you could die and stuff. And oh, I was God. sitting there thinking like. Cheers. Great. Oh, Thanks wow. for putting that in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, all the things about if you don't have the decompression stop, then you get the bends and all this sort of horrible stuff. Um, so that really kind of put the fear in me a little bit. And it was kind of one of those things where I said I was going to learn to dive to look for this wreck. And then suddenly, you know, you're actually in a on the side of the ocean, like putting on the oxygen tank and all that sort of thing. You just think, like, how, how did it get to this point? This is ridiculous. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I learned to dive in Leicester in a place called Stony Cove in December. Um, and it was snowing and my wet, my dry suit leaked. And it was just like the most horrible experience. Oh, and then, that was so cold. Yeah, it was it was horrendous. And then I did a little bit in uh, Malta, just a little bit. Um, but by the time I got to Normandy, I hadn't dived in ages. And it was the only time 
that I at that point that I dived in the open ocean. Every other time I kind of walked in from the shore, walked in off a beach, right. or jumped off the side of a uh, quarry or something like that. Um, so I'd never dived out of a boat. Uh, I definitely never dived in something as rough and cold and murky as the English Channel. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a real kind of uh, in at the deep end, no pun intended, experience. I'd rather do it in the Caribbean than the English <laughs> yeah, Channel, well, I well, so that, that was the thing of the lessons I went, went on. They'd go around the room and say, you know, what are people here to do? And it almost, well, everyone was like, oh, I'm going to the Bahamas for my honeymoon and, and all this sort of thing. And I was like, oh, I'm jumping into the channel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find a boat. Yeah. <laughs> it's really yeah. romantic. Um. Exactly. I, and in the end, when people see the film, I, you know, um, the dive boat broke. So I ended up jumping out of a fishing boat, which was still filling with water as we were doing it. So yeah. We up the water as we were going. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, um, diving on the actual target was, uh, yeah, it was wild. It was, it was the most surreal thing because everything that led to that point, it kind of like consumed me for a whole year at that point. And I mean, two mm -hmm. years since I heard about the story. And when we, when I started the project, I never really expected to even get to the point of diving on a target in the channel. So to then, I remember hitting the seabed and all the sand kind of came up and I looked to my right and there was this big towering wreck wow. of, uh, of a shipwreck and it was really 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 quite strange um but then it's over so quickly I was only down there for about 40 minutes I think and then and then it's all over yeah it's all over just like that um so it's funny wow yeah I remember going up the yeah the, that must have been incredible yeah I remember going up the line to to leave and I remember turning back and thinking it would be gone and then it was still there so I was like, oh, that's right. So I went up a little bit more, maybe a foot, and I turned back and it was gone. And then suddenly it was like, all oh, right, so that's all over now. You know, everything up to that point mm. is over. And then, yeah, I got back into the boat. Um, I was really seasick at that point, actually. Uh, I don't know if you can tell in the film, but I was so ill. Um, it's really emotional. Oh, no. Well, there was that as well. <laughs> yeah, so, I, so I felt emotional. Couldn't tell. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. It's a mixture of the two, I must say. It does look more like I'm crying than the fact that I've just been sick in this city. But I, <laughs> it, it was a combination of both, yeah, because I, as I was holding on to the line, I was fine the whole dive. I was fine the other 24 dives, but as I was holding on to the line for the decompression stop, it was just slowly swaying me um, left and right mm. until I just was like, wow, this is not good. And, yeah, so I got to the surface. That happened. And then I had to climb back into the boat which I'd never done before. So that was, I mean, you know what it's like trying to get out of a pool. Like trying, yeah. trying to do that. <laughs> never do it. Yeah, back into a boat um, after all that with the waves smashing you in the face. And yeah. So yeah, it was uh, it was strange. And then Pat was there to greet me back. So yeah. Oh. It was, it was yeah, nice I was going to ask about that because when I saw that, it was like, no, none of this was staged, obviously, was it? Because it's a documentary. So it's it, you all done in kind of one take. You wouldn't... Yeah repeated it all so and I think that's the power in it it's so emotive like when you met him afterwards I think I was like oh my god my goosebumps I know Phoebe I think you said the same didn't you we were just interactions they are so moving I yeah it's, it's brilliant yeah brilliant. yeah that, that was yeah. the thing um there was a few because like you say yeah we didn't stage any of it obviously it just played out um so there were some moments where the camera crew kind of really 
struggle to capture it all because um you have to just go with it yeah what was a favorite moment for you like on or off camera um god i don't know so much the the funniest moment off camera that doesn't make it that isn't in the film um is there's a the scene where i come back to shore and i see patrick and um he pulls out a letter to read um and he can't read it because he's really emotional and he walks off upset and then i'm upset and the camera crew has to follow him this is one of those moments where you just have to run with it so he goes off and he's really upset and then i'm upset at the thought of like should i have done it this sort of thing was it worth dragging up all these emotions and the funny thing about that is my mum was there uh she's not in the film obviously she's wearing a bright pink coat like the brightest pink coat you could ever imagine and uh, she was off screen obviously and um i was standing there crying and she obviously didn't couldn't just stand there and watch that happen so then my (laughs) mum ends up running in hugging me and she won't let go she's got her arms around me in this big pink coat and i know that patrick's on one side getting filmed and inevitably the camera crew is going to turn back and want to film me <laughs> so you're kind of thinking of all these things at the same time like the story's for real but obviously you're thinking about yeah what's going to happen in terms of shots and stuff mm. so i know they're going to turn back and i know it's going to be a shot of my mum hugging me which is nothing wrong with that but she's not in the documentary at any other point in the whole film because she can't just suddenly be in it who's this woman hugging <laughs> um, so i'm like crying and going like mum Get off, Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> like an embarrassed so kid like, in a school playground. You're like, go away, go away. Go yeah, away. exactly, exactly. But it was just like, Mum, you're gonna ruin the shot. Go away. <laughs> oh my god. My mum would have done exactly the same, and I bet she yeah. probably would have stayed in the shot and not cared. <laughs> so be lucky that your mum left. <laughs> oh yeah, there's there's a running joke. I don't know if it's true or not, but Daniel, the director, uh said that there's a there's an edit of No Roses with just my mum always in the background in a pink coat. Yeah. <laughs> I love I that. That'll have to go on like the um, special features on the DVD yeah, exactly. or something. Yeah. The pink coat mum. I love yeah. it. <laughs> so what have you been doing since? Like, are you still in touch with Patrick? Like, is there any is there any other projects in the pipeline? Um, yeah, I'm still in touch with Pat. He's still going. Um God, I don't even know how old he is. How old now. Is Patrick? Don't mind He's probably like 97, I think. Wow. Like that. Wow. We're all getting older. Uh, but he's all right. He's just been bored because of the pandemic. Um because for a lot of these guys, they kind of they kind of base their years in old age on kind of going to France, and some of them will then yeah. go to mm. Holland and all that sort of thing. Um, so that sort of stops. So he's a bit kind of uh, frustrated at that, I think. Oh, but yeah. Other than that, he's all right. Um, I've been writing the book about the project. Um, Didn't you finish it last night? <laughs> I finished the first draft a couple Was of it? days ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that comes out in April next year. Um, Woo! exclusive it's called the sea is never still is the name of the book oh is this the cocky malarkey um exclusive like it is i'm not sure i'm allowed to to announce it but there you go oh well there we go um go now you can't take it back yeah so so that's happening and then yeah i've been working on a project uh about romany archaeology about romany gypsies in 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 england so that's what i've been doing since then i've moved away from the world war ii thing for now um Mm. I kind of like peaked with it uh with yeah, my roses so I, I thought i'll do something completely different now 
Oh, Before nice. we move on to the kind of questions about you and what you got into history, I wanted to ask about the name for the book and the name for the film as well, because I think it's a really, really beautiful name for both. So do you want to explain why you chose that? Um, yeah, I, well, No Rose on a Sailor's Grave is from a poem um, that Patrick reads in the film. Um, a beautiful poem. Yeah, it's a nice poem. Yeah. I've, I've, I've always thought I've had quite, I've quite had quite a good eye for a good ear for things that make the good names for stuff. I've always been quite good yeah. at some things. So the second I heard him say that, I knew straight away whatever we were going to do, um, we'll call it that. Uh, although now everyone calls it No Roses, and I think oh, I should just call it that because even I call it No Roses instead of <laughs> No Roses. The state is great. Now I like it on a subject because I think it kind of goes with the. Um, Commission, Commonwealth Organist Commission and how they describe like sailors who have like they say they have no known grave other than the sea mm-hmm. and then like when I heard that full poem I was like that's actually really poignant and how that commemoration and how people are remembering these men and like what they don't have uh, so I think it's very emotive yeah exactly mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, um, yeah so that's why we, we called it that I think it's a really beautiful title. There were some real shockers that got thrown around before that. Um, God, before that like point. what? Oh, yeah. I, I won't embarrass anyone involved. <laughs> Don't say names. You just say the name of what they suggested. No, no, because they'll they'll know. Oh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Tell that, us off. Uh, tell us off. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we landed on the best one. And then the sea is never still. Is uh, I I wanted the book to sound like a novel. Um, which I mean, same with No Rose on the Sea is great. I wanted it to sound like a novel. So, the sea is never still. Is actually what Patrick says to me um, towards the end of the project. Um, yeah, without giving anything away, <laughs> that's what he says yeah. to me basically. So watch it. Yeah, yeah so I, definitely. I yeah, I have to bit that final bit with um, him talking because I was like, oh my god, I wonder if this is like a scripted kind of um, voiceover him doing, and then you cut and they edit that he's talking, and I'm like, oh, oh my god, this is all coming from him. Like this is yeah. so powerful. Yeah, yeah, you know, I yeah. agree because because you know what, I hadn't, I wasn't there when he did that interview. Mm. Um, I was, I think I was eating a pizza in the street. <laughs> refueling yeah in a in a suit that was a really long day unveiling that memorial so there was like a big um like champagne reception afterwards and i oh, lovely i think i had a few too many so i was eating this pizza on the on the curb and that's when pat yeah. did that voiceovers well not for an interview so mm. when i first saw the end of the film i was like is this scripted because but yeah then, but i knew they couldn't have gotten him got him to read a script because his eyesight's not oh. great and he's really deaf um, yeah. Yeah, I was blown away when it cut to it was just the fact that he was chatting away like that. But then mm. I think it, it was, I think he'd had quite a bit of champagne as well. So I think that's where that came from. Uh, you can kind of oh, see well, it. Oh, fair enough. Because it was brilliant. Cheeks that he'd been on I could life. never be that coherent when driving. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> no, he had that well. Well, getting on to you then, what got you into history? Um, what got me into history? When I was a kid, I always liked all the stuff that all archaeologists ever say they like, you know, like Indiana Jones and <laughs> and all that sort of thing. I'm sure we've heard it a million times. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I just forgot about it for ages. When I left school, I joined a band and I toured around for a long time doing that. So music was my thing for ages. And then when I got to uh, 20 or something like that, um, I, I went to uh, France and was walking along 
a battlefield and found all these like little bits of barbed wire and all that sort of thing. Um, but at the time, I thought I was really special for finding like the iron harvest and stuff. But obviously, oh, I immediately go. found out that <laughs> does it all the time. Um, so after that, yeah, it all just came flooding back to me that I like digging up old stuff. So then I went to university, got a degree in archaeology. And then, yeah, I was always kind of uh, determined to do the sort of World War Two, World War One sort of archaeology stuff, battlefield archaeology. That was always my thing. And so I just... Um, yeah, I just stuck at that relentlessly. And that's how I got to to do all that sort of thing. Yeah. And that's how you got to where you are now, making an yeah. incredible projects with veterans. Yeah. So but, oh, the next question is my favourite one, and I'm looking forward to your answer for this. Are there any historical myths you want to bust? <laughs> Given the opportunity on a podcast platform, what would you... You know what? This, like, this something that like... really pisses you off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know. I thought so much about um, who I wanted to meet that I, I think I forgot to think about this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm not, I don't think I have an answer for that. Maybe. What's the fact? We could come back to it if you want. Right, I'll try another thing. Last <laughs> answer on other things. <laughs> no, so, okay, we'll move on. What's been, what has been the, the best moment or moments of your career so far? Um, I went on the one show. That was that was pretty wild. Amazing. Yeah, that was funny. Me and Pat uh, went on the one I show. Mean, that was cool. Yeah, it was really really. Tell um, because I re- I swear, where did you put this? Was it your story or something the other day? I remember yeah. reading it, being like, "What the hell? That's mad!" Like, yeah, can you what um tell people the story to do with this? Like the one yeah, show, because it wasn't just simply you popping down to London. Yeah, it was funny because like um. You know, I think when you do this sort of like public history stuff, you have to keep up this kind of veil of, uh, you know, of course I'm meant to be doing, you know, TV and all this sort of thing whenever you do that stuff. Um, so at the time I was like, yeah, obviously I'm on the one show. I guess on the one show. Um, but actually it was ridiculous because Pat and I just, he's just, you know, a 94 year old man at the time. And I, and I was just this archaeologist and yeah, we got asked to get big guests on the one show. And it was me, Pat, Frank Skinner, and the cast of Strictly Come Dancing. Um, <laughs> and it was absolutely absurd. Yeah, they, I, was in, I was on <laughs> holidays. So they flew, flew me back from Malta to um, go on the show. And uh, yeah, I brought my whole family along. That was funny. Uh, Pat brought his family along. And yeah, we just had a, just had a ball. We had like a driver all day and uh, wandered around BBC studios and stuff. It was... It was really funny. Yeah, at the time you had to be like, yeah, obviously, you know, we're on telly, of course we're on telly, but in hindsight, it was absolutely mad. <laughs> that's, no, that's incredible. That's definitely a big highlight. Yeah, it was funny. We got to watch Strictly Dance. Yeah, my my mum lost the, well, lost the plot, you know, like taking, taking your mum to see the cast of Strictly and meeting all them. That would be my mum's dream, yeah. Love that. <laughs> oh my God, that's brownie points to it. Don't be listening there. to this, like, when are you going to be on one show? That's it. That's I love it. it. Right. So, shall we move into the fun round then? Yeah, sure. you, sure. you're doing the fun round. <laughs> okay, so this is where you give your like first immediate answer to. Um, I feel like by signs that you've done some good thought to this. So, who is your favourite figure in all of history? Um, John Lennon is my favourite figure in all of history. Absolutely. Oh, cool. I like that, the music background. Yeah. Yeah. And who's your least favourite figure then in all of history? Um, yeah, I couldn't think of a very good one. So I, I think maybe Mark Chapman, because uh, 
he obviously killed John Lennon, so <laughs> he would definitely be my least that, favorite. That works. I like the link. Yeah. I think this is yeah. the first time we've had them where they've linked together. Yeah, like, so it's quite good. <laughs> Don't worry. The other week, we generally had someone who said the guy who created VAR and that like. Is- <laughs> that just one of my kills favorite me. Answers, if you know for <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this can it can go anywhere That's funny. um okay so if you could go on a road trip with three people from history who would you want in your car um i i think i would have uh ernest hemingway um and with him i'd bring Ooh, okay. fitzgerald and his and his wife zelda fitzgerald because um from what I've read, they used to bicker relentlessly, the three of them. Uh, like, terrible, <laughs> terrible arguments. And I think that'd be really Is that before or after the alcohol? <laughs> well, I think just constantly. You'd have to have a driver in that car. <laughs> <'Cause> like, <laughs> so, yeah, I'd, like, I'd like to crazy. drive the car and just have them um, just arguing in the back. And that'd be funny. <laughs> Wait, so did they come as a pair or is that the three? That's the three. Uh, F. Scott brings yeah, we have Wyatt, Zelda, right? So. That's the three. I quite like, yeah. That's good. I like the idea of like people bickering and kind of entertained off that. Yeah, my <laughs> other my other choice was just uh, John Paul and Ringo. So I mean, I thought I better. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Okay, you're allowed two hit cars then because that is cool. Um, <laughs> right, final question then. If you could go back in time for one day, where where would you go to? Um, <laughs> considering all my other answers, I mean, it's a bit predictable, but I'd, I'd probably go and watch uh, the Beatles um. play on the top of uh, the Apple building in London, which I think was 1969, wasn't it? Um, that would be sick. Yeah, the yeah. last ever Beatles show on the rooftop. That would be, have to be one of the, wow, maybe one of the police who wandering around moaning about it. Maybe that's who I'd be. But... <laughs> oh, no, that would be so cool. <laughs> no, that would be a so moment good. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Oh, this has been so cool Thank hearing you so about much it. For talking to us today. My pleasure. No, really appreciate yeah, it. it. So, yeah, thank you for giving us your time and thank you for sharing the film with us because it's was like I said, incredible. Yeah, and Patrick's so, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah really appreciate it. And it's had an incredible it. reception at film festivals, isn't it? Yeah, it's done. It's done amazingly well. It's funny because I didn't think about any of that stuff when we were making it at all. There was no thought of that. We didn't even know what we were making, to be honest. We weren't sure if it was going to be a TV show or a documentary or a YouTube video or anything like that. So the fact it turned into this feature-length documentary with an orchestra and, um, you know, all these awards and film festivals and stuff, is yeah, it's really cool. Patrick loves it, obviously. He gets to see all the attention and, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, oh, been, it's been amazing. It's, been, it's really turned out quite quite well because it was really hard i must say the project was really really hard yeah <laughs> yeah i bet so, so to see it um yeah i bet it was yeah to see it do well it's, it's real nice it's a nice kind of ending to the whole thing although it's quite weird watching something when you're five years younger uh, i've only watched it a couple yeah of times. but <laughs> why did i say that <laughs> we all do that yeah. well do you know what i can't wait for other people to watch it and enjoy yeah. it as much as we did as well so keep an eye out on john's socials everyone because you there are chances to watch it or i'm sure if you ask him very nicely he might let you uh, but don't hold me accountable for saying that yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not <laughs> right thank you so much yeah um, thanks for talking to us my pleasure Wow, how good was that listening to John talk about No Roses? Um, do make sure to try and watch it wherever you can. Uh, here is a preview of ep- next week's episode. 
But Definitely. after the bulge, like something has to happen to get to the winning part. And essentially it's the Rhineland campaign really that is that, you know, cracks the last proper organized German resistance. And that's, you know, that made it appealing because we don't really think about it too much. Plus, um, there were, there was an American army involved, a British army involved and a Canadian army involved. And that way we can kind of hit all of our bases and really appeal to a wide range of people. So in a nutshell, that's how we ended up uh, selecting the Rhineland campaign for the main topic. Oh, plus there's a massive paratrooper drop and everybody's into paratroopers. Of course, so. that's true. And in the meantime, uh, don't forget to like, follow, share the full lot of us on Twitter. I've been Olivia Smith. And I'm Phoebe Style. And this is Kakulaki signing off.